Well, tonight, as we're doing this study here and we're going through the lessons on Nehemiah and paralleling a lot of the history of Fort as we go along with this, we, we've seen some really interesting things. We've gone through what, um, how Truman got the idea to do this, how he started out with the whole idea here of making a Fort Wilderness. And last week we saw him, um, you know, like setting some goals, uh, or actually two weeks ago, about setting goals. And then last week was, you know, the, the first initiation. How do you, once you set a goal, how do you attain it? Now, remember, we're not just talking about goals in the spiritual realm of Christianity. We're also talking about just things general in life. So some of the examples tonight, I'm going to let you inside of my head a little bit. Yeah, that's always scary. Um, but I'm going to let you inside a little bit of my uh, background and let you see some of the goals and some of the problems. Because as we see tonight, the lesson here, putting our faith into action, is the series is called The Study of Making Goals and Attaining Them. Tonight, overcoming obstacles. So we set a goal after you set a goal, you have a dream, you're putting some vision into place, how do you get started? That was last week's lesson. Now, one of the things that always pops up, when any type of goal basically you're trying to do, particularly if you're doing something having to do with the, uh, the field of working with God and God's service, you're going to run into obstacles. Nehemiah, we have seen so many similarities between Nehemiah and Truman Robertson, the guy who founded this camp. Very similar in a lot of ways in what's going on. And tonight is no different. Truman set a goal. He had a goal. He started to set up a plan to get things initiated, to get it going. And then, boom, problems. Not just one, but many problems came into play. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight is how we get, how you overcome some of these things. And Nehemiah faced the exact same thing. I love this book because this book, even though it's an Old Testament book, it is so practical to our lives, not just our spiritual lives, but to our lives in general, just trying to do things. So with that, let's open in prayer. We'll get started. Father, we thank you so much for this day and for another opportunity of serving and being ambassadors of Jesus Christ here. And Lord, as we take a few moments out tonight, I do pray and trust that the most people who are sitting here, Lord, have come into this room now to glean something from your word. This is the time that we try and do spiritual feeding of, this, of the staff. And Lord, we just sort of just open it up now and ask that your spirit would just teach us as we look through passages here. Lord, help us to be able to see things and to be able to implement them into our life. We ask that your spirit do the teaching. And Lord, that you would help us with what we learn tonight that will further not just our relationship with you and our ministry to, with you, but Lord, just our lives in general. Your word is a blueprint of how we are to live and help us, Lord, to use that tonight to see how do we overcome obstacles. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So when Truman Robertson started Fort Wilderness, there's a picture of Truman and Jan. When they started Fort Wilderness, uh, you might recall, if you were here on some of the earlier lessons, Truman was actually pastoring a church in Rhinelander. If you've been to, to Burger King in Rhinelander, there's a church literally right across the street. That was the church Truman was working at, Calvary Baptist Church in Rhinelander. And he was the pastor at that church. Um, and, and Satan knew, as a matter of fact, that's a picture of the church. Satan knew what, <laughs> what Truman's goal was. Satan, don't, don't underestimate your enemy. He knows what you're doing. 
He knows very well what you're doing, and he is many times not happy, particularly if you're doing something with God and for God. He is going to be very angry with that, and he's going to try and stop it. Satan hates God, but he is incapable because he's a created cherub, a fallen angel. He is incapable of doing anything to hurt God. So what he does is he attacks the thing that God loves the most, his jewel of his creation, people. That's what he's after. So to get back at God, that's what he's doing. And because he's a fallen angel, because he is smart, because he is uh, constantly on the prowl looking for, for uh, people who are, are trying to do things for him or doing anything that is promising in our careers. He's our enemy. He does not want us to succeed at anything. And so he is constantly trying to put us down. And so he uses all sorts of weapons. He has a quiver full of arrows that he is very efficient at. Things like illness, disease, depression, discouragement, fear, the list goes on. And he is a master of these weapons. Um, he knows exactly, it's like a swordsman. If you ever watch a swordsman or the fencing in the Olympics coming up, it's one of my favorite things. I love to watch fencing. And when you see how they parry and, 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 and swing that blade around with an artistic manner um, in fence, Satan is like that with his weapons. He knows exactly when to thrust, when to par. He knows every single move, and that's what he does. And he is relentless. Truman started working as he was working at this church, and he was leading this congregation at this church. And at that time, back in 1956, this congregation was much larger than it is today. It was a very sizable church here in Rhinelander. And as he was trying to get this ministry, this camp ministry, up and running, he was also trying to run this at the same time. The problem is he met with a, a lot of opposition. And it's interesting because if you talk to Tom or especially Ron about this, because Ron's the older, he remembers this very well, what I'm about to tell you here tonight. There was a lot of opposition that came up against Truman Robertson from inside the walls of that church. It's amazing how Satan will sometimes even use Christians to bring down other Christians. That's one thing we all need to be wary of. That even though we're following God, we can sometimes, if we're not careful, we can actually be tools in his hands to bring down somebody else in ministry. And that's exactly what Truman faced here. He had a lot of people that got very up with, upset with him. Some people in the community, but some people right in his own church. And that happens. Satan knows how to do that. I'm trying to explain this to you that you'll understand, even though you're working for God and you're a Christian and you're trying to do Christian service or whatever, you're a Christian and you're trying to do something that's going to be favorable for your career or whatever, Satan does not want you to succeed. He is in it to try to destroy you and to try to get you to fail in everything you do. Sometimes he will use other people, including other Christians, to bring you down. It does happen. Um, I remember back... In 19, or I'm sorry, in 2003. 2003, as for those of you who know me well, was another year that I got hurt here. I just sort of, instead of going by 2004, 2005, 2015, 2016, I just literally think, okay, what dumb thing did I have break or did I do that year? And I sort of identify the years like that. Like, for instance, 2015 is the year, it was the last day of the year that I did my shoulder. So 2015 is going to be famous for that. <laughs> But in 2003, that was the year I jumped off a rock during lumberjack breakfast 
um, down there at Rock Chapel, those big rocks, I was standing up there. If you've ever been to Lumberjack Breakfast, you know I do this thing where I stand on the rock and then I jump off, which I have done a hundred times. I jumped off the rock, I landed the wrong way as I did this, and I not just herniated three discs in my back, I burst them open. Um, still did the thing, got out to the breakfast. No one got, knew I had I had gotten hurt. The show must go on. So I went out there, I did the thing, and I went up to Tom, and who was cooking, and I said, um, I have to go back to the nature center. There's something I have to do. And so he says, oh, go ahead. So I left immediately, went back, didn't eat my 12 slices of bacon as I normally have at that breakfast, came back to the nature center, turned on the air conditioner, laid on the floor of my office with the doors closed, and I screamed really loud because um, I was in so much pain. And now, the thing is, the reason I'm telling you the story I had some people who were walking very close with God actually call me up and say, the reason you're in so much pain and the reason you're going through all this suffering is because you got some hidden sin in your life and if you will confess your sin, God will heal you and you won't have to have surgery. This is Satan discouraging me. Using a Christian. Satan does this. If you haven't experienced this yet, you will. You keep walking with God, he does this. Truman found out at that church, he had people in his congregation that turned on him about starting this camp. It's amazing how things like that happen. By the way, that person who I was just telling you about called me up and said that to me. I said, did you ever read the book of Job? You know, have you read that book? Sometimes bad things happen to us and it's still within God's plan. Very poor theology is what the person was doing. Anyway, um, but I'll tell you, there were some people who did not make Truman's life happy, made it very difficult, and sometimes Truman's kids, Ron, Tom, and them, went to bed at nighttime in tears because they knew what was going on, particularly Ron. Like I say, he was old enough to know everything was happening with his age, and he knew what they were saying about his dad. And it really troubled him. Well, Nehemiah was no stranger to any of this either. Let's take a look tonight at our passage here. This is Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Let me show you what Nehemiah experienced. It, this just keeps going on and on. This is happening thousands of years ago, and it just keeps happening. So, as we know, Nehemiah is back, and they're starting to build the wall. So here we go now. Now, when Salabant, Sanballat, I'm sorry, Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Can you hear the sarcasm? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, yes, what they're building, if a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. This is Nehemiah now. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt. Do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, 
heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Well, I can see why they'd be angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Interesting passage, very interesting passage. Um, something I learned a while ago in all of this, and in this passage in particular, but I learned it through experience too, God seldom allows goals to be attained without some form of opposition. Even if you're doing something phenomenally great for God, he allows things like this to happen. He allows opposition to come. He allows Satan a door to come in and cause problems to you. There's reasons that he does this, and it's good reasons that he does this, but no matter how great the vision, the goal, your dream, whatever it is, how awesome it is, however it appears, he usually, I'll tell you, about every single time I've ever can count this in my own life, he doesn't allow it to, to come about without meeting some form of resistance. Resistance does come. I'll give you a couple examples of my own life. And this doesn't necessarily, like I say, this doesn't have to be just in the service of God. This could be just any type of goal that you guys set up. Maybe even like where you're going to go to college or something like that or what you plan to do on a career or anything. This, this happens. I used to teach at this place. I taught elementary school many years ago. It's probably why there are so many children today in need of psychiatric help. Um, can you imagine me with first graders? <laughs> I can't. But... I taught at this school. After I moved back from the Bahamas, my wife and I, uh, this was the only school I could find a job because there was a teacher surplus in the United States. Um, there were so more teachers than there were jobs. And so the only place I could find a job was in this little school. This is in north central Illinois. If you know where Rochelle, Illinois is, uh, not Rochelle, Rochelle. <laughs> Rochelle, Illinois. Uh, there's a little tiny farming town called Stewart, just south of that a couple of miles, and this is a school district there in this little tiny town. Town only has like 300 people in it. Um, and Stewart Elementary School District is a K through uh, eight school district. Superintendent, principal, the whole thing, they got all that kind of thing. Well, I was teaching there, and in the first year of teaching, um, the school had quite a few different things. They had a, um, you know, they had band, they had a choir, they had this big stage. The original building dated back into the 19, about 1930. They had a big stage and everything. But I was talking with my wife one night, and I said, you know what would be really cool to help these kids out? They don't have any dramas. They got a stage here. They don't do any drama whatsoever. And in many of the schools I taught at, I was the director of drama. I know that might surprise some of you, too. But, um, yes, I've done a lot of drama. I've done community theater and stuff like this. So I have, actually, I have a quite extensive background at this, both in directing community theaters and being in dramas and stuff and, and actually uh, performing on stage. And I thought, this would be really cool. So I went to the superintendent, and I, I said, you know, I would love to start a drama program here with these elementary kids, and we put on plays. Well, he loved the idea. He thought that would be good, you know, something increasing in the arts, something that they hadn't done in decades at the school, even though they had a stage. So um, he said, you know, I th go ahead and do it. He says, I think uh, you're, you know, great blessings. Go do this if you think it, you can do this and stuff. 
um, you will not get paid anything extra for it. And I said, well, I understand that. The school was in quite a bit of debt um, also. So Denise's dad was a carpenter. Uh, Dwayne Garricky was his name. Actually, Dwayne Garricky worked. He died um, over 30 years ago, but he was instrumental in building a lot of the, the dining hall here. Um, he was a close friend of Truman's and came up here, volunteered time, and did a lot of things. He was a very good carpenter. So Denise called her dad. Dad came down from Milwaukee and helped us build a stage here. And um, we built an elaborate stage. I mean, we had to do, we had to start everything over. The lights that were there did not work. They were broken. They were worthless. Uh, the floor lights and stuff, they were, none of the electricity ran through this. So we had a ton of work to do. And with the help of uh, my father-in-law, we got a phenomenal um, stage set up that was used um, and got this thing going, and we did plays. But let me tell you, I had some teachers at that school that absolutely hated me, and I can use that word hate because that's what it was, that hated me for doing this. They couldn't stand it. Though the school was not putting any money, Dwayne bought the materials to do the... Um, most of the, the work. Um, we volunteered our time free and everything like that. And the students were all excited because we're going to have dramas. And we put on many dramas. We were doing like about six to eight dramas sometimes in a year. I was there for four years and we were doing all sorts. And some of these kids, believe it or not, two, two of the students that I had at that school are professional actors today. Um, you've never heard of them, but they are, they've been in many, many uh, uh, productions and stuff because they're always behind-the-scene type people. They're not big actors and winning Academy Awards, but they're very active. And um, so the, the thing is, this was a good thing. It was benefiting the kids. It was in the best interest of the students. Yet, I had teachers, and one who was the teacher right next to me in the classroom right next door couldn't stand my guts because I was doing this and made my life absolutely miserable doesn't make any sense. It didn't affect her whatsoever. You would think, and she was an English teacher, literature. You would think the literature teacher would be behind this. No, she was totally against this. I can't help but wonder if it was somewhat of jealousy because she had been there for decades and never did anything like this. Here comes this new biology or science teacher comes in here and tries to do all this. She probably felt threatened in some ways, but anyway, she made my life miserable. I, I'm not going to go into all the things that she did, but she made my life miserable. Um, you meet oppositions. Or, how about this one? When I set out to do the marine biology program, yes, that is a picture of me on the left. That is me. That was about, uh, oh man, I have no idea what year that was. That was a long time ago. But when I set out to do the marine biology program, I first started doing marine biology with an Indiana school group and I was just one of the teachers on their program. Then I wanted to start my own program at my own school. And I thought, wow, teachers and everything, the school would be just all over this and want to support this. It was just the opposite. I met opposition after opposition after opposition. Even had a superintendent getting on my case. Why are we doing this, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't costing the school hardly anything to do it. But I met so much opposition. And, well, the program's still going today. Um, but wow, let me tell you, it was very difficult getting that thing started. I knew it was a good thing to do. I really felt called by God to do this kind of thing. And I mean, I've been doing this now for like almost 30 years. I've been doing marine biology programs. And the thing is, it was a good program, but wow, the opposition I had to face. Many times, not just at the beginning, at the startup, but many times. Um, sometimes even since I've been here. It's, it's amazing. Or 
you know, I just did a trip to Israel. And we just did a, a thing there. Um, we did our first, Fort Wilderness did its first archaeological trip to Israel it's ever done. And uh, the, the, um, all the years Fort's been here, this is the first time ever doing something like that. And believe it or not, there was opposition even here. Some people on staff did not think that we should be doing this. And for the, a couple of uh, months when I first was proposing and trying to set this thing up, I met opposition even among people I work with. And the thing is, this impacts people for Christ, change people's lives, God impacts people. It's amazing. Even so, like I say, Christians can sometimes, without realizing it, be agents. Without knowing it, Satan can sometimes use them to discourage us. It does happen. It's sad, but this does happen. So, that's what happens with things like this. And Nehemiah was no different. Now, he was not different at all. Same thing happened with Truman, the same thing happened with Nehemiah. Now, how, the lesson tonight is, well, how do you combat this? What do you do when this kind of thing happens? You know, the easy thing is, well, this is happening. People are giving me a hard problem. Forget it. I'm just going to throw in the towel. Forget it. I'm not going to, I'll go do something else. A lot of times, you feel like doing that. There have been many times I felt like doing that. Um, I probably, if I sat and thought about it, I probably had some ideas. I actually shucked like that because I was getting such opposition. Nehemiah is no different. And in chapter 4, this passage we're studying tonight, the opposition takes aim at him for the good things that he's trying to do for God. God gave him this vision. He felt called by God to do it, and the people too. And boy, does he get opposition, as what we read already. People were making his life terrible, as it says in verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry, greatly enraged, and he jeered at us, the Jews. It's amazing how much opposition we go through in situations like this. And we'll find that many of us will have a Sanballat in our life. Many of you will have many of them come along and do things. As you proceed in your life, no matter what your goal, whatever, what your dream, your vision is, no matter what it is, I'm telling you, you're going to come across a Sanballat, at least one. Actually, there was more than just Sanballat. There was others, Tobiah and other. But you will find some of these people trying to discourage you and they will do everything sometimes in their power to put you down. They will tell stories about you. They will lie about you. They will tell the most filthy things. They will spread rumors. I tell you, I'm speaking from experience. That happens. At that school I taught at, I had all sorts of stories spread about me. I still went on and did it. I knew it was the right thing to do. I felt that God was calling me even to do that, even though it was public school. It wasn't necessarily his ministry. You might be thinking, Michael, that's, that's so different. That, that's a school project. That's not, you know, something enhancing the kingdom of God. But you know, as I thought about that yesterday, I thought of this. What we ended up having to do at that school, we had to build spotlights out of big uh, food cans of like fruit cocktail and stuff like this. We took them, cut the bottoms out of many of them, made, and duct taped them together, made a long tube. We put a light switch at the bottom, we put, or at the bottom of one, and then we put a big floodlight in there, built scaffolding, and I taught people also how to do, you know, spotlights and sound and stuff like this. And then I was the, at the church I was going to at the same time, I was the drama director at that church. Well, I trained all these people at element, the Stewart Elementary School to do this, and I thought, we're gonna do a big musical production. Why use people in the church? I brought my kids from my school. Some of them had never set foot in a church before, and now I brought them to church to help us put on musicals. Some of them never set foot in a church before. So I didn't even think about that as I wrote this, but I thought about this yesterday. 
that some of those kids, had it not been for this, this um, secular project at a school, never would have maybe set foot in a church. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with many of their lives. I've lost track with some of these kids. I have no idea. But yeah, they learned a lot of different things like that. You know what? It comes down to this. You know what the problem is when you come across these oppressors, a lot of it? It's the same thing. It almost always is. Change. People hate change. And why? Because people often view change as a threat. Well, I'll tell you, if you don't have change, not much really happens. We need to change things a lot of times. Now, some people will take a program or whatever, even a church program or something, and they won't make a change because, well, it worked this year. I'm never going to change it again. And I know many people that do that. The marine biology program, constantly I'm changing this thing. Every year we have the students write evaluations. I take these evaluations back and we go through everything. I look at every single comment somebody makes and we make changes and stuff like this. People are often afraid of change. Change brings with it a suspicion and people often take that as a threat. That's the problem. And it's usually just one bully, usually one sandballat, but sometimes it's groups of them. Um, Nehemiah chapter 3, 4, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside himself. He said, yes, what they're building, if a fox go up on the wall and break it down, uh, down their stone wall. I mean, the guy's making fun of him. He's jeering at him, making all sorts of comments. Well, I want you to know something, some, you folks. This is very important. I want to show you something else that people will do when they oppose you. And this does happen so many times. They make sarcastic and stupid remarks. They'll make it at you. They'll make it at your goal. I like this. If you have something stupid to say, please raise your hand and put it firmly over your mouth is what the bottom of that. I don't know why this is not coming up on the screen properly, but that's what it, it says. Um, put, it, put your hand over your mouth. So let me give you a little advice about how do you handle criticism when it comes. I mean, nobody likes being criticized. I don't know of anybody who is in, like, wow, you're going to criticize me? Fantastic. Come on. Tell me what I'm doing. People generally don't do that. But there are some good things to learn about criticism. Important things that generally, unfortunately, people don't learn these until they're much older. No one likes to go through it. But when it comes your way and it's going to, be ready for it. Because it is going to come. If you've never faced somebody criticizing you, it's going to come. Maybe some of you in your jobs and stuff like that have already had that. I don't know. But it is going to come. So let me just give you some guidelines, if I can, about what we can learn about taking criticism. First of all, number one, even though you don't like it, listen to it. You might learn something. Criticism is often very, very important. Um, I had a situation just recently. I was speaking someplace, and one of the staff members here was there. Uh, when we got back, I had the staff member come up to me, and they said, Michael, that was really good what you spoke on. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It, it, one of the best jobs I think you ever did, he told me. And then he said this. He says, are you open to a piece of criticism? I said, yeah, bring it on. I'm always looking for ways to improve. And so he said, did you think about doing it this, uh, this one point, did you think about doing it this way? And I said, yeah, I did. But it didn't work like that. It didn't work out. But I do appreciate you telling me that because I agree with you. And he says, oh, as long as you can, you know, I, I just, if you already considered it and everything like that, fine. I was hoping to bring something to your attention. I said, no, that's, that's great. Is there anything else you can tell me? He says, no, that was about the only thing. Don't be afraid of criticism. 
Criticism is sometimes a way of learning. But <laughs> when you receive it, evaluate it. This came from a good source from somebody who I have a lot of trust in. So that's good. Evaluate it. Determine the motive. Why was he telling me this? I knew. He was telling me this not to put me down. He was telling me this as a suggestion for making things better. That's exactly how I took it. And I was like, yeah, give it to me. I want to hear that. So evaluate it. Determine the source. If it's somebody who is just jeering and giving you a hard time and they come up and give you criticism, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> And those people will come. It does come. Yeah, it does happen. Yeah, it does. Um, the third thing, <laughs> if it comes from a good source, learn from it. There you go. Don't be afraid of criticism when it comes. And I know it's hard to take criticism. I know if even some of you leaders or volunteers sitting here, if your boss, the person who's work, you're working for and who's leading your ministry right now, says, oh, let's sit down, let's have a little talk here, um, don't be afraid, because in most cases, at least here, we're trying to help you to be better. We're not doing this like, you know, let's wait and get, don't get in the idea that we're walking around with a fly swatter, looking over your shoulder, and just waiting for you to make a mistake, so we're going, gotcha. That's not the motive here. That's not what we're trying to do, though that does happen in places. So be careful. If it comes from a good source, learn from it. Very important. If it doesn't come from a good source, if it's a bad source, this is hard. Ignore it. Ignore it. Don't even acknowledge it. The key thing to do here, do not respond. What does the human nature want to do? When someone comes and gives you bad, bad comment, isn't it the same? You're like, you did that to me, you dirty rat. I'm going to get you back. Oh, oh, I'm going to get you. you know, that's what we do, right? That's the human nature. Human nature is not a good thing. So we want to not do that. What you want to do? Listen, this is what I think about your thing. Aren't you going to say anything? No. I've had that situation too. At that elementary school, particularly one day, I got pulled into the superintendent's office. Teachers were spreading all sorts of rumors about me. He pulled me in, chewed me out. He didn't check the facts. He took some hearsay and just went with it. And he just chewed me out. The whole time he's chewing me out for about an hour, I sat there. I didn't say a word. I didn't open my mouth once. So finally he got done with his rant and he didn't know what else to say because he was like, I can't believe you're sitting here just absolutely quiet. I wasn't going to respond. Then when he did, I said, that stuff that you're saying, that is not true. And I can prove it if you'll give me the opportunity. Which he did. I took him up to my room and everything came out and the superintendent who was ready to fire me then turned around and he thought I was like one of the best teachers he had in his world and put me in for teacher of the year, in fact. Weird, but... I didn't respond. That's hard to do. Controlling the human tongue, that's a difficult one, but that is so important. A fifth thing, if it is to further God's kingdom, if your goal that you're working on, this vision you have is going to increase God's kingdom, just remember that non-Christians will not be able to fathom it. Say you got something that you're wanting to do and your family's like, do not do that, but you feel called by God to do it. Non-Christians, even family members, will not be able to fathom what the Spirit of God is doing in your life. You've got to understand that as born-again Christians. Non-Christians don't understand it, so they think we're often nuts. Some of us are, but at least we're screwed on the right bolt. They won't be able to fathom this. So don't try in many cases, to try to sway them, to try to get them to see, because it's the Spirit of God sometimes doing this, and it's a mystery to them. 
And the sixth thing, don't forget, some people are just negative. Some people are just plain hard to get along with. You're going to encounter many of these in your life. Not just in biblical and serving God, you're going to see this very often. People are just sometimes very hard to work with and to get along with. It's sad, but that's the way things are. So how do you handle opposition when, with your goals then? How, how, what do you do? How do you handle the opposition when it comes? Well, I've given you six points you need to remember, but let's take a look at what Nehemiah did because we're going to get these six points are from what Nehemiah did. Let's take a look. In 4 through 6 of chapter 4, look at what Nehemiah's response. He's being ridiculed. He's being made fun of and everything like this. Look what he does. This is his response. Hear, O oh God. First of all, who's he speaking to? God. He's praying. He's not speaking to Sanballat and the people who've been making fun of him. He's not responding to them. Instead, he kept silent with them and he went directly to God. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they're captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted from your sight, for they have provoked who? You. To anger in the presence of the builders. Notice, as we pause here for a second, notice who actually they're insulting. When you're working for God and somebody's insulting your work and stuff like this, and it's not warranted, who are they actually insulting? If they call you names, who are they actually calling the names? Nehemiah's got it right. They weren't just taunting him, they're taunting God. Verse 6 So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. This is really important because the key thing, Nehemiah took it to God in prayer. Taking it to prayer is one of the most powerful tools you can have. I have been assaulted many times verbally, uh, professionally, in education, and in serving God and stuff like this. Many, many times I have been just beat up terribly in, and not physically, but emotionally and in other ways. And the thing is, I try not to ever retaliate. I don't try and respond. I usually try and keep my mouth shut because I've learned as much younger that if I start opening my mouth, I really get into trouble. I take it to God and I pray about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what you want to do. Prayer is a very powerful weapon. Matter of fact, it's in the armor of God. Though many times when people study the armor of God, they stop at the sword of the Spirit. But there is one more piece to it that's often neglected, and that's prayer. And there's many verses coming at the end of that talking about prayer. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Don't underestimate it. And it's one that we Christians seem to use the least. I don't know why, but it is. Prayer is a weapon of warfare, and boy, we could really use this. So important for us. My father went through quite a few difficulties in his life too. And he's been long gone. He's home with the Lord, been gone for uh, quite a few years, um, about 20 years now. But I can still remember with difficult times that he had. He, my dad loved to sing. Matter of fact, when he was younger, he um, used to travel around with a, uh, with a quartet. They traveled quite a few places and did a lot of singing and stuff. Um, my dad was a very, very good singer. And he always had a song in his heart. He was always singing. 
the song that I definitely know was his favorite song, and because he had such a rough upbringing, was What a Friend We Have in Jesus. A phenomenal song. I know we don't sing hymns too often anymore, but I'll tell you, a lot of times when I'm struggling and stuff, this is the, the song I many times find myself singing. When I start running into problems and despair, people making fun of me, I love that hymn. I don't know if you guys know this hymn. It's a phenomenal song. I almost feel like singing it right now. It's, it's, it's such, I mean, the, the lyrics of this thing are absolutely beautiful. How many of you know this? So about half of you in here know this song? You know, do I dare sing this? I feel like it. You can sing along with me. It's not, you know, it's, a it's not a difficult song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry. Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Second verse. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. There's a third verse. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge, take it to the Lord in a prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. What? amazing words, and they're so true. They're, they're biblical, they're, they're theological, they're great words, and it's true. It's a great song. Boy, is it warm in here, or is it just me? It's warm? I don't know, is the air conditioners turned on here? I mean, wow, is it warm in here? Anyway, but there's more that Nehemiah did. So we try and wrap this up here quickly, because it seems like we're, we're cooking. 
Um, Nehemiah did not retaliate. You notice that he didn't come back and do anything bad. <laughs> he didn't, you know, write dirty letters to Salbat. He didn't do that. He didn't say, oh, well, Tobiah, you're such a mean. He didn't do any of this stuff. He took it to God in prayer, but he did do something else. He didn't argue <laughs> with the opposition. That's important for us to remember, too. He didn't retaliate. He didn't argue. He prayed about it, and he did something else, though. I want to show you something here from Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite Bible teachers. I love this guy. He's one of my favorite authors. He wrote, the worst thing a Christian leader can do is to retaliate to critics. So true. If you are in such a situation, keep your mouth closed, talk to God. That is exactly what Nehemiah did. Right there, folks, that is one of the best things you can learn tonight. When you are in a situation, keep your mouth closed to the person who's causing the problems. Take it to God. And there's one more thing he did. Notice what it says in verse 6. So we built the wall. He did not let the opposition stop him from what he was doing. He still built the wall. They still continued building. Even in spite of all the stuff going on, he continued to build. It never stopped them. All, you know, what they were hoping to do was get him to stop. And he would not stop. He kept doing it. He fulfilled his goal. We're going to see he built the wall. It says in this passage that he got it halfway done. They kept working. Even though with all the opposition, they kept working. But Michael, what happens if I'm working on fulfilling my goal and someone opposes me just won't stop? What if they just keep coming and coming and coming? And it goes on for not just a, a few days, but it goes into weeks. It goes into months. It goes into maybe even a whole year. Remember the English teacher I told you I had the problem with in doing the drama thing? I went an entire year with this lady on my back. And I was getting notes on my desk. Every single day I would come into school, there would be a nasty note sitting on my teacher's desk every single day I walked in there. Some people do not give up. So what do you do in a situation if they don't give up? Does that give you a right to retaliate? Does it give you a right to open up your mouth and chew them out and stuff? No, it doesn't. That is not it. Look what Nehemiah does. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall was going on, in other words, they didn't stop them, going forward that the breach was beginning to be closed, that they were very angry, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion. So now they're plotting to come even worse, to fight. Nehemiah was also facing the same thing as all this is going on. He's facing the same thing as what we often face. People are relentless many times, and they will not give up, and they will just keep assaulting you over and over and over. That continues to happen. So what am I supposed to do if it happens to me? Well, what did Nehemiah do? Go back. Look at the scripture. Look at the blueprint in the Bible. What's it say in verse 9? And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. They're threatening to come and kill them now. And so he says, okay, we're praying to God, but now we're setting up a guard. Notice he's still not retaliating. He's still not giving back. He's not responding to them. He's taking it to God. And now he's making another plan to be prepared if these people come. You see, Nehemiah listened to them. He listened to the critics. He heard what they were saying. He didn't ignore them completely. Even though their source was bad, he still listened to them. He wasn't just ignoring them. They say they're going to come and kill him. Okay, we're going to get ready for that. So he prayed more. That's an important thing. He prayed more, and then he took some practical precautions, setting guards up 
to prepare for when, if they do come. That's what he did. The whole point is, he turned to God for help. He didn't write letters to the king and stuff like this. He didn't run back to uh, Artaxerxes and stuff. He's there. I mean, Artaxerxes is hundreds and hundreds of miles away. He turned to God. That's what we need to do when the same things happen to us. When you get some relentless person, turn it to God. I know that's difficult to do, but this is what I'm telling you. It's what Truman did. It's what Nehemiah did. It's what I did. Try and do this. When you find yourself on the receiving end of criticism and abuse, use your common sense. Set up some defenses. Pray hard. That's the lesson here. Truman was discouraged in the early years of his ministry with Ford. Very discouraged. To hear Tom and Ron talk about it, Sometimes, uh, uh, Tom, when he was telling me some of this, he got really emotionally checked, uh, shook up because it's still vivid in his mind, some of the stuff that happened with his dad and his mom here at Fort. Things were becoming more and more difficult here at Fort. People in his church and in the community were making it so difficult. He was working so hard trying not just to serve his, his flock at the church, but also to set up this ministry. And he was finding the opposition unbearable. It became so difficult. It was then to a point, it came to a point one day when he was still at that church and having the difficulties here, Truman got a job offer from Moody Bible Church down in Chicago. Moody Bible knew Truman and they thought, you are the guy to be our new youth pastor. Now to go from this little Calvary Baptist church in town to Moody the Moody Church, and be the youth pastor there? I mean, talk about promotion. Wow. And plus, all the opposition, everything here was going bad. Many people would think, well, everything's going bad. God obviously has changed his mind. He doesn't want me to do this. God doesn't change like that. But Truman forgot it in the situation. He was so discouraged. He was so down. He had been so abused that he thought, maybe it is what I'm supposed to do. As the story goes, this is in the book, I think, too, but anyway, that we handed out Truman's story. Yes, it is in the book. I'm just going to tell you what happens here. Um, at this hardest and most depressed time, he lay in bed one night thinking on this and wondering what to do about taking this job down in Moody and leaving this whole thing. Just throwing in a towel, go down to Moody. It's a promotion. It's a great thing. As they were laying in bed, I remember Ron was telling me, as they were laying in bed, he still remembers um, that night because they were all in tears. It, it got that bad. They all went to bed, and it was then laying in bed. They neither one could sleep. Jan and Truman just could not sleep. They were so upset, so worked up over everything, what people were saying about him and stuff like this. In the middle of the night, still not able to get any sleep, Jan rolls over to him and says this, does it seem wrong doesn't it seem wrong that we should have to put an end to all this work and the good people who have trusted us with funds to go this far and then we should just walk away from it with no one to carry on what we started? Truman writes in his book, her words pumped new life into me. 
with new resolve, we, return, or we were determined with God's help to stay here and see it through. That was a historic moment because when Fort Wilderness first started, it wasn't called Fort Wilderness. At that point, going up to that, this place was called Northwoods Youth Crusade. That night, with that point, when it came to that thing, and Jan saying, do you really think we should throw in the towel when God brought it this far? And people have entrusted us with prayer and funds to do this. Now you want to throw in the towel? It just doesn't seem right to just leave this with nobody else to carry it on. Truman changed the name from Northwoods Youth Crusade to Fort Wilderness. That was the start of what we're at right now. It took that type of crisis to get this to happen. God does things like that. He allows Satan, he controls Satan, and he limits what Satan can do, and he lets Satan abuse Truman and his family to get this, where we're at today. Nehemiah faced tremendous opposition, yet the walls were built. So, do you recognize where this spot is? So we're on the walk, the walk going to the stables. If you look carefully, you will still see a large part of a stump. There's just a little section of a stump standing here. It's all surrounded by trees today. That's the burned out tree right behind. And Fort Wilderness really started going at that point. But it took that type of opposition to really get it going. Let's close in prayer, then we'll get into the questions and give you your treats. Father, we thank you so much, and I thank you for Nehemiah and what he's done, and I just ask now that you would just bless us tonight, bless our treats, as we just open up our hearts and our minds still to your Spirit's teaching. Guide the groups as they have their discussions also. Help us to be open, in Jesus' name, amen.